You may be seated, and our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. For those who remain and or who are joining us on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 25. We've been doing a little mini-series in Isaiah, considering the presence of God, especially in the Lord's ministry, death, and resurrection. So we turn our attention here to Isaiah 25. I'll read the whole chapter. This is God's word. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And Moab will be trampled down in his place, as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands. And the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, to the dust. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, reveal to us, O Lord, these great and eternal truths that we might have insight into these plans of yours that were formed of old. We might know that you are faithful and sure that we might have strength to wait on you, that we might know your salvation. Do this great work in us as you bring your word to bear on our hearts and our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a child, I was amazed at my dad's ability to tolerate hot sauce of every kind. 
He put that stuff on everything. And like as a little kid, hot sauce is just, I would rather have died than to have had to have endured the, the awful pain of even Tabasco sauce. I found Tabasco sauce painful. And I, I remember this time where I just thought, like, my dad needs to know like, what he's doing to himself, to people, to me. And I said, Dad, I bet you $5 that you can't drink this bottle of hot sauce straight out of the... And before I could finish my sentence, he had grabbed the bottle and had drunk it and didn't even flinch. Poorer, but wiser. I realized that maybe, maybe there was something to this hot sauce. Maybe it wasn't full of death and pain after all. And now, with my refined palate, I uh, also follow in my father's ways. I put hot sauce on all kinds of things, and I enjoy it. In a much more significant way. We read here in the prophet Isaiah, before we can even begin to talk about the state of the world, the state of our hearts, the state of our lives, the state of our communities, the state of our families, before we can even begin to step into the grief and the shame and the pain of so many of these places and say to God, I, before we can even get the sentence out of our mouths, we find this truth revealed that God has swallowed up death forever. And this is something that in the dark reality of our world ought to give us a hope that is unquenchable, that encourages us and strengthens us to live our lives, however painful, however full of grief, yet to live them in joy and the fullness of the hope that God gives us. So we're going to consider this morning how that might be the case as we consider three things. We're going to consider the present shroud that covers us, that death indeed weighs heavily on us. We're going to look to the promised glory and be reminded of our hope and its source. And we're going to consider our powerful God to find confidence that our hope in him is sure and will not be disappointed. Death weighs heavily on us. We will be reminded of our hope, and we will find that that hope in him is sure. Let's turn our attention then to the word. As we consider this present shroud that covers over all of us, this shroud of death that the prophet says, covers all peoples, like a veil that cast that is cast over all the nations. Death weighs heavily on us. And we can't escape it. Though in our modern, affluent, Western, consumeristic world, we try our best to avoid thinking about it. We do our best to avoid death, to to set it off as far away from us as we can so that it doesn't affect us, so that it doesn't impact our day-to-day lives. I was in college before I even had an opportunity to attend a funeral, and we, we hold death off. We buy things that fill our days with joy. We 
go and experience things and, and build memories so that we, anytime thoughts of grief might creep in, we can go back and find some happiness somewhere. We live in a world that is constantly on the go, telling us, go, get, 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 do, 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 have more, more, more. Don't pause at all, lest the reality of death creep into your thinking. And the more we do this, the more we avoid the reality of death, the more we step into inhuman ways of living. I was the executor, am, still, months, years later, the executor of my father-in-law's estate. And I can't tell you how unprepared our society is to deal with death. Any of you who have done that job for a loved one or a relative knows this all too well. Nobody knows how to help you. Nobody knows how to help you navigate this tangled web of figuring out how to settle an estate. I can't even, I can't even get the closing papers. It is so utterly discouraging and, and frustrating. And it reveals that our society has no idea how to face death and its reality. We just put it off until you just have to deal with it. But in doing so, in making this world less and less real and and, and forcing us to pursue greater and greater effort to avoid these things, what we've created is the most difficult and inhuman world, if as we've avoided the pain of death, life itself has become the burden. Which is why we read now of this epidemic of loneliness as we have become more and more alienated from one another and from the world and from God. We read that suicide is now a leading cause of death in our culture, in this modern 21st century world. Because if we avoid dealing with the shroud of death, that grief, that pain, that reality still weighs on us. And even if it makes the very living of life a burden, you cannot escape dealing with this veil that is cast over all people. And every time we experience grief, Every time tears come to our eyes, every time we step into hardship and difficulty, every time our souls are burdened by anything, it is a reminder that no matter how much we avoid it, that death is coming for us too. What is it that we're hiding from? What is it about death? that is so fearful that we would numb ourselves to it, that we would run from it, that we would fill our days with working and striving, that we would shift our attentions elsewhere, that we would even just fill our days with mindless scrolling so as not to have to face it. What is it? What would you feel if you did not hide from the reality into the grief of death? Would you be confronted by broken relationships scattered all throughout your, your days? 
memories of words left unsaid that you will now no longer have a chance to say? Will you be filled with regrets or shame that you didn't take more seriously every moment that you had? Would you just be overwhelmed with sadness? Would the burden be too much? Death weighs heavily on us all. But the prophet here reminds us that in the midst of it, there is a promised glory that ought to give us hope. In our desperation to avoid confronting death, uh, we turn to all sorts of different things. Desperation has a way of begetting idols. And so we become fascinated with anti-aging methods and exercises, and diets, and creams, and pills. We become consumed with uh, pursuing our best life now, and so we get all of the things so that we can have whatever little bit of joy might be ours in this very moment. And as we pursue these things, we create idols. Because we've asked worldly and created things to give us a hope that they can't give. We ask them to fulfill a promise that they can't live up to. But the prophet turns our attention to something else. And it's not a list of techniques. It's not a a special set of rules. It's not a, a new way of living or eating. He doesn't turn us to a thing at all. He tells us that hope, the hope that we need, the hope that can give us joy and and refreshment, even under the veil of death, the hope that we need is not a thing at all. That hope is a person. It is the Lord God himself. For he will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, of well-aged wine. He will swallow up on this mountain the veil that is cast over all peoples. He will wipe away tears from all faces. He will take away the reproach from all the peoples. And it will be said on that day, Behold our God. He is the hope that we need. When I did college ministry, We had several spring breaks where we would take a group of students to work with a widow's ministry, and we would do all sorts of things for the week. We would paint or spread mulch or clean out garages or sheds, or we would make repairs. We would fix things. And, And there was always this crew of the work crew that would break off and not do any work at all. They would just sit with the widow and talk. As we took turns doing this, year in and year out, we found that that was the real work because most of these widows didn't really care about the mulch and their flower beds that much. It was nice. They were delighted to see it. They didn't care about cleaning out their garage so much. They loved the joy of being in people's presence. They loved the joy of fellowship. 
And all of the service that we did for them, of all the fixing, of all the painting, of all of the, the gardening, the real work, the joyful work, the real service was being with them and talking and enjoying them and their stories and their lives and their presence. And so we see in all of God's service. And God here makes himself a a cook, a waiter, a server. He makes himself the lowest of positions. He spreads out the feast. He makes all the preparations. He does all the cooking. He worked on all these things. He sets these things out before. He sends out the invitations. And he does all of these things not to show off how great a cook he is, not how wondrous his wine is. He does these things because he reveals in it his heart that his joy is to be with his people to fellowship with them, to live with them. And he takes away anything that would hinder that, whatever the reproach may be, whatever tears may cause you to turn aside and run off, whatever, if even death, whatever it is, that will keep you from living in the joy of his presence and fellowshipping with him over this glorious meal, he takes away that we might know him, that we might behold him, this our God, who is glorious and mighty and loves his people. What would change? about the way you live your life, if you knew, if you saw clearly, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of sorrow and sadness and pain, what if you saw clearly God's own heart for you? Would it generate in you curiosity to spend more time with him, to get to know a God like this? Because if you're like me, you know things about yourself that you don't just let anyone know. And if God only knew, and yet he does. And he still invites you to draw near. Would it cause you to cast up your cares and concerns and hardships and cries of every kind to him in prayer? Would it cause you to to have a humility? Who is this God? Would it give you a confidence? And yet, he invites me in. Let me go and run to see and know him more. Would it take away the hunger and thirst to numb yourself to the miseries of this life and give you a hunger and a thirst for his righteousness and his peace? Would it change anything for you to see the heart of God for his people? He promises a glorious 
reunion, a glorious fellowship where there will be nothing that separates us from our God, that we would see him face to face, that we would know the joy of his presence. And it's in that hope that he calls us to live. And that hope that he gives us is sure because he is the mighty God. There are many dangers, and they loom large in our lives. Because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what the next hour will bring. Maybe you'll get that diagnosis. Maybe you will get that phone call. Maybe that accident that you've been so careful to avoid will take place nonetheless, despite your best efforts. Maybe. You don't know. And there are all sorts of dangers that surround us, all sorts of unknowns, wars and rumors of wars, pandemics and rumors of pandemics. And we could live cowering in fear and isolation and never know the joy that comes with this sure and certain hope. But there's nothing new. God's people have always faced dangers of every kind. We've read in this passage these strange words about foreigners being subdued and their their cities being no more. And Moab in particular is called out. And and what's going on here is, is the prophet describing this reality that at the time Israel is situated in a very dangerous place, surrounded by all sorts of nations that would like nothing more than to see them destroyed. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Hittites, the Philistines, the Moabites. God's people have had a history full of those who would love to see them brought to nothing. And Moab in particular. It wasn't just about territory for Moab. Moab despised Israel because of who they were and who their God was. And they made it their mission to bring Israel low. And here God says, oh, oh no, Moab shall be brought low. They'll be trampled down. And though they swim with all their might to rise up, their hands do not have the skill. They are not the Lord God Almighty. We read in this passage, Verse 6, that he is not just the Lord God Almighty, he is the Lord of hosts. Which is a technical Hebrew phrase pointing to the Lord of the heavenly armies. Those angelic armies, those fiery chariots, all the powers of heaven and earth are at his disposal. There is no king. There is no nation. No matter how ruthless, there is no disease. There is no power. There is no principality. There is no demon. There is nothing in heaven or on earth that can withstand the might of his power. And so when he says, this hope is sure, when we read that the prophet declares, the Lord has spoken, he has swallowed up death forever, we can know this word is sure. And so when we read that every power 
will be subjected under his feet. When we read that he will take away all of the reproach of his people, we know that it is true. This is what the the cross and the resurrection tell us. This is what they accomplished. For on the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ bore in his body the sins of his people, and he died the very death that we so fear. Not just a physical death, but a death that would alienate us from God and cast us into eternal torment. He bore that wrath in his own body. And not only that, When all the evil powers and principalities of the universe thought at that moment, lifting Christ, the Son of God, up on a cross to humiliation and disdain, to mocking and death, they thought, we have done it, we have dethroned God, we have conquered. But no, on the cross, he nailed them. He took away every power that they could possibly have against God, against his people. And so rising from the grave, he showed that our great enemy, death, has lost its sting. He has shown that Satan, that great accuser, has no word left of condemnation to give. He has shown that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords for us. And he invites us in him not through our own might, not through our own power, but entrusting ourselves to him to live with the sure and certain hope that this is our God. He lives. He reigns. He has spoken. He will surely do it. And for those who believe this good news, The Lord becomes for them in this miserable estate, in this world full of grief and death and sorrow. He becomes for them a stronghold. A stronghold for the poor. A stronghold for the needy. A stronghold even from the storm. Even from the heat. Such that when we find ourselves hiding in the Lord... That the strongest storm will be like wind blowing against a sturdy wall. The most withering heat will be like heat in the desert. So what? That's, That's what heat is. Even the greatest grief. As sorrowful as it will be, it will not be able to destroy us. Because we know there is a God who has swallowed up death forever. How might the Lord show himself to be a stronghold for you today? We read that he will subdue the noise of the foreigners, these foreign nations that were mocking Israel and clamoring to see them destroyed, taunting them and saying, your end is coming. Your God won't save you. What will it look like for God to subdue the noise of the world, of your own flesh, of the devil himself, so that you do not hear those mocking cries? You don't hear those despairing taunts. 
to hear the sure and certain word of your God, that though we die, yet we live with him. That though the world be against us, he is for us. Not even the gates of hell can stand against his church because of who the Lord Jesus is. When you see that he is your stronghold, it it frees you even in those moments of sorrow, even in those silent hours of waiting to yet sing and exalt his name because you know he has a plan. You know that he has purposes that are wonderful, that he's told us about from of old. And he is faithful, he is sure, and though you are beaten and battered with grief in the moment, yet you can find a sliver of joy because you know it is as of nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits God's people. The Lord is a stronghold for you. You can yet even invite others to know the joy and gladness of his presence. Behold our God. We waited for him. We didn't want the the idols of the world and the promises that they gave. We wanted the salvation of our God. As of salvation that is eternal, unshakable, and sure. That breaks into the misery of this reality and gives us hope to live. We read here in this passage that our God is the sort of God that swallows up death forever, that he might enjoy our presence, that we might enjoy his. Not just for a moment, not just for a blink, but forever. And that hope is so certain and so sure that it can strengthen us to wait. Even in this world, where there are so many horrific and terrible things, so many injustices, so many sorrows, so many tears. We can wait. Not idly, not with distress, waiting expectantly, with hope. Because we know that we believe in a God who takes away every reproach. Wipes away every tear. Who's brought his people together that they might enjoy his fellowship. Feast with their God. Because he has swallowed up death forever. Let us be glad and rejoice in this, his salvation. Pray with me. Heavenly Father. Give us eyes to see what it means for us to look to the resurrection of the dead. That we look back on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who defeated sin, who defeated death, who defeated all the powers of hell. And we also look forward to that day where we will rise again. And see him face to face and know joy unspeakable. Help us, O God, then, to turn away from this inhuman world and its idols. 
And to not live in fear of death or grief. To not be overwhelmed by the sorrows of this world, but to live with steadfast hope that our God reigns. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord God Almighty. He has spoken. He will surely do it. Give us this trust. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.